Let's all, let's, let's keep on praying together. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you. So mighty. You are so incredible. You've done so much. God, we, uh, we, we lift you up and we celebrate you this morning. And God, we invite you into this place. And at the same time, we accept your invitation to be in this place to celebrate how you have moved over the last 10 years, how you are going to move over the next 10 years, over the next 100, over the next 1,000 years, God. It is good to be in your presence. In your name, we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat today. My name is Derek. I am the lead pastor here at Encounter Church. And uh, what I'd like to do this morning is just to start off with a question. And the question is, what comes to mind when you think about church? Like when you hear the word church, like what's the first thing that like jumps in? I mean, sometimes like when you hear church, you think of a building, you think of some bricks, maybe you think of uh, a seat or some music. If you're uh, watching online, go ahead and drop that in the comment section below. What do you think of? What's the word that comes to mind when you hear church? For me, what I think of is, um, is a throwback couple of pics. Let's, uh, let's get them up going on the screen here. Uh, this is church. For me, this is what I remember is gathering in a living room. This is actually a friend's uh, basement living room, or basement room, not mine. Uh, we had grown so much at that point that we needed to, to like expand out of my living room and go to somebody else's basement. It was like, oh man, God is on the move. This is a group of people that were just like gathered to talk about how to invite, how to welcome their neighbors to take that next step in their faith with Jesus. Um, I just want to like share, just go right through those pictures there. And this is just like church for us. It's meeting in a cafeteria 10 years ago today. This is what we we're up to. This is what we we're doing. We got a kids ministry that's going on on the floor. The only kids like volunteer is my wife because that's the only person I could recruit to like do this in that kind of a setup. This is church. And what I want to say to church this morning is that when you see these images and these pictures, when you hear about church, that is neither no more or less church then what we're up to here today and where God is taking us into the future. So sometimes when you think of church, what you might think of is like, is a static or a fixed or an unmoving organization, unmoving like bricks and building, mortar and chairs. They don't really go anywhere. They're fixed. They're static. And so we're going to push back on that this morning and we're going to see first, where do we get that idea of church? And then what's God's design for church? When we think about church today, the idea of the words that we get from is, uh, is come from the New Testament. Uh, it comes from the word church means an ecclesia. And you can put that on the words on the screen behind me. The ecclesia is a mashup of two other words. Ecclesia is, uh, is a Greek word that so means out of, ek, kalo, to call out of. It's a gathering and it's assembly. It's a bunch of people that are gathering together for a purpose. A gathering around an idea, or in this case, Jesus. In the New Testament, when you see the word ecclesia written over and over and over again, it's a group of people that are gathered because of an idea, because of a person that they saw die on a cross and then come back to life again. And it so enthused them. It so invigorated them with, with life. Sometimes literally, Jesus bringing them back to life that they couldn't help but like share that with everybody that they met. And so they'd go all around and they'd share that good news with everybody with all of their neighbors and their coworkers, their friends, their colleagues, people on the job site, and they just share that news with everybody. And it was a movement, and it grew, and it kept on growing. And then something happened. In the Middle Ages, a new idea of church started to develop because those people would gather, and they would construct these buildings. And there's a German word. It means, it means the, the word is kirche. 
And that means like a structure. It's a walls, it's chairs, it's a, right? The word kirhe is suddenly became a fixed position. It didn't, it no longer moved, it no longer grew. And so there's this one guy actually, William Tyndale in the 1500s, He's a contemporary of, uh, of Martin Luther, and he was in, the, in, in England, and he, was, and he was translating the Bible or trying to translate the Bible into English for, for his people. And he insisted on every time he came to the word ecclesia, when he came to this word, he would insist on translating that word as congregation because he wanted the focus to be on the people. And, and the church establishment leaders could not stand. They hated him for it. In fact, he did this with a bunch of other words as well. He did this with the word um, metanoia. It was the Greek word, and the, it means repentance is how we translate it today. That's how he wanted to do it. But the church wanted to do it of, of, of pay penance because you had to do that through us. And he says, no, 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 God can speak directly to the people, and he does. And so they, he did these things, and like Ecclesia, he would translate it as congregational, focus on the people, not the structure, focus on the person, not the building, focus on the movement, not the establishment. And they couldn't stand him for it. In fact, he was burned at the stake. And get this, get this. His last words alive was, oh, Lord, that you may open the eyes of the king in around the mid-1500s. And those of you who have heard about the King James Bible, that was written in English around 1600. That was like the direct answer to William Tyndale's prayer. God is just so amazing. That we can open up a Bible in our own language. Because why? Because this church isn't an establishment. It isn't fixed. It isn't established. It isn't unmoving. The church is dynamic. The church is growing. The church is on the move. If you take something away from our time today, know this, that the church is a movement of God. Where do we get that? Acts chapter 1. Let's go there. Listen, the words are going to be on the screen behind me. And uh, you can follow along in your Bible or on your phone as well. We're going to go to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start it off in, uh, in verse 6. And it's going to start with Jesus. I love that the book of Acts, the actions of those first followers of Jesus, I love that it doesn't start with, like, the church and a structure. It starts with Jesus. I think that's so incredibly important to our understanding of the church. It starts with Jesus in verse 6 we read. And then they, this is those his followers of Jesus, post-resurrection, he had about 120 people now that are gathered around Jesus on a hillside. And then they gathered around Jesus and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, we don't need to get into like the whole political movement uh, that they were expecting at the day. But really, at essentially, what they're asking is, Jesus, like, what's your next move? This is his next move. Verse 7, he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. Verse 8, key verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they're like on the hillside. And I don't know, I just imagine Jesus is already starting to ascend at this point because that's what happens next. And, and, and they're like going, Jesus, do you know how big the world is? And he's like, yes, I can see the whole thing from up here. Do you know how big the world is? No, you probably don't. But like you're going to find out. Because the task that I'm giving you is to go to the ends of the earth. Go everywhere that you can find people who are far from God, as far away as the ends of the earth, and bring them to new life in Christ. That's the mission statement of the church. That's the mission statement of like every church. Jesus gave it to us. Go. Go. And we just got to like break that down in verse 8. That last line where he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. 
I highlighted Holy Spirit because that makes us a little bit uncomfortable at times. So let's just name that, okay? I'm not going to ask you to do anything weird. I just want us to acknowledge together that sometimes when we say Holy Spirit, it makes us a little uncomfortable. We don't know. We don't know what the Holy Spirit is going to do. We don't really know all that much about him. In fact, most of us, if we're honest, when we think of the Holy Spirit, we think of the Holy Spirit a little bit like that crazy kind of unpredictable, you don't know what's going to happen next, you don't know what he's going to do, like that unpredictable uncle at Thanksgiving, right? Where it was like, you remember, like, you remember family gatherings? It was like 10 years ago, your last one probably. But like when you're gathered around the table and there's like that, that uncle that you just don't, keep him away from the kids because he's very unpredictable. <laughs> you don't know what he's going to say, you don't know what he's going to do. A lot of times what we do is we relate to the Holy Spirit like that kind of unpredictable uncle, and like, I don't know, I don't really get it all the time. You know what I'm comfortable with? A lot of times what we're comfortable with is like praying to the three-in-one, praying to the triune God like this. I pray to God the Father, I pray to God the Son, and I pray to God the Holy Scripture. Because this is like what we get. This is like ink on a page. This we can kind of control a little bit more. This is what's tame. We can set it down, we can close it. We can set it aside. But the Holy Spirit makes us a little bit more uncomfortable because we just don't know what he's going to do. We just don't know how he's going to move us, where he's going to nudge us. And so sometimes when we, when we kind of like overlook it, true story, I was a part of a church one time, not this one, thank goodness. I was a part of a church one time where there was like a debate that broke out at the church about whether or not you could pray to the Holy Spirit. And like, I don't know. And I'm like, what do you mean you like, pray to the Holy Spirit? Of course, the Holy Spirit is God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's how that goes. Of course, you, you pray to God the Father, you pray to God the Son. I'm like, yeah, I just don't know. Like, it just doesn't feel right to me. Well, set our feelings aside for just a moment. Like, what's right? He, he's part of the triune God, right? I mean, yeah, but, but we've spent so long, this is like the thing, we've spent so long depersonalizing the person of the Holy Spirit, that we'd like look at him and call it it, interesting use of language there, that all of a sudden it becomes over time like, like this impersonal force, like something out of Star Wars. And it's, no, that's not, that's not how God revealed himself to be in the Bible. And so we're like trying to reclaim with it. And this is why that's really important here. Because when Jesus is establishing not just this church, but really any church, when he's establishing the church and he's giving it its mission, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, he's like, this is what I want. This is what I want you to wait for. I want you to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come on you because, because every movement, remember that's what a church is, every movement begins and ends with God. It's so important that we realize that they're not like waiting for the Holy Spirit to come to like seal in their, their Christianity. They were Christians. They were believers. They saw Jesus die and then raise from the dead. And they're gathered on the hill that day because they believed. And they just followed this guy everywhere that he went as best as they possibly could in imitating him. And then Jesus says, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to come on you, not to like be, make you an official Christian or something like that, no, no, because he wanted to solidify the movement of God begins and ends with God. The movement of this church begins and ends with God. The movement of God in your life begins and ends with God. I think that sometimes we need to hear that. Like, to just hear that again. 
That if something incredible is going to give in your life, if something is going to move, if you're going to overcome some barrier, if you're going to allow some fear to begin to fade, it's going to happen. It's going to start with God in your life. And so sometimes what we do is we like try to get the destination of like where we're going to go in life. Like this is where I want to end up. This is what I want to do. This is who I want to be with. This is the kind of person that I want to become. It's like we, we cast that destination and then we kind of like reverse engineer the steps back to like get there. We're like, okay, good. Now this is my action step. This is my plan to like move on into that future. But the very first step is asking God, God, what do you want from me? What do you want me to become? What do you want me to do? What what are the barriers, the obstacles that you want to overcome in my life? God, what do you want? Because this whole thing is this movement of my life, of my church, of my everything is going to begin and end, God, with you first. So Spirit, tell me what you want from me this week. And it's the Holy Spirit also. He says, Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit is one. The movement begins with God, and it points to Jesus. I I love this about, about, about the person of God, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, and also Jesus, and how they're like working together here, and God sending them both. The Father sending them both. It's so cool, because because at no point do you ever get the sense, like this movement of God called the church was started because Jesus picked the best and the brightest. At no point in the scriptures do you read that and you're like, well, I mean, you can obviously see that this is going to become a global phenomenon thousands of years later because, I mean, look at the stellar crew that he had with them. It's like, no, no, no. No, these guys are, these are fishermen. They're middle school dropouts. Some of them are thieves and crooks, traitors. I love this movement because it's built on the exact opposite of people that you would ever decide to build a global phenomenon with. I love this picture because we can see that nowhere else in history was such an important mission trusted with such a least qualified group of people. Why? so that we would look at God and we would give him the glory through and through. We'd have no other choice in the matter. And Jesus says, listen, you're going to be my witnesses. And he, uses, he could use a lot of terms. Remember, the global mission here is to go to the ends of the earth and bring people far from God, farthest at the ends of the earth, to new life in Christ. That's the mission. He could have said, and this is how you're going to do this. You're going to go and you're going to be my preachers. You're going to be my teachers. You're going to be my aid workers. You're going to be my missionaries. You're going, to be, you're going to be teaching English or teaching Chinese or teaching Spanish or whatever other skill set that you have in these different countries. You're going to go and you're going to do all of these things. He goes, no, no, no. You're not going to do any of this. The word that he, cho- he chose to use here is a legal, technical word. You will be my witnesses. And he, like, picks up on that concept of going into a court of law and just sharing your testimony. And I think Jesus knows that the critical step here isn't to do anything, but to tell everyone about what has already been done. That's what a witness is. That's what it is. I'm not supposed to like go in and make stuff up. I'm not supposed to really do anything. When I go into a court of law, I just simply share. I don't do anything. I share what's already been done. This is what happened, and I'm just testifying to that fact. I'm just sharing that fact with everybody. It's a cool thing. It's a cool thing to see that start to play through scripture. Uh, Paul in, in Philippians, 
He writes this letter. He's, uh, he's in prison. He's in Rome, probably 60, 61 AD. And he's in chains, it says. He's in chains for the sake of Christ. And it says in Philippians 1, he goes, and I've already been sharing my faith. I've been witnessing to what God has done in my life to the guard, to the Roman guard. And we're going to see that in in just a minute. We're going to see that come through in Philippians chapter 4 as well, the effects that that some of that has had. But I'm just asking today, what's your witness? Like, how do you do that? Somebody challenged me one time, and they said, Dirk, if every single person that you've been praying for suddenly, like, woke up to the grace of God anew in their life, how many people would be added to heaven? Dirk, is it maybe like a small number? And it just like hit me, like what if God answered all of my prayers? Like what difference would it make? How hard am I witnessing? How much am I praying? How much do I, how much do I care, right? Now some of us, we do witnessing like Paul did witnessing. He, he shared with what he with what he saw, but he also lived it out. And I know that's, that's the way a lot of us, we go about witnessing today by sharing about what God has done in our lives by just living it out. And so this is what I think would be fun. If, uh, if the person that you came here with today or the person maybe that you're sitting on the couch next to right now, if they're like a trusted person in your life, just ask for, like a, ask for a life audit. Just be like, listen, I'm trying to live out my, my faith you know, by testifying to what I believe in with my whole life, like, how am I doing? Audit my life. What reflects Jesus and maybe what doesn't? Because sometimes what happens is like, you know, I totally trust Jesus. He's my savior, which means like I moved over from death to life, from unbelief to belief, and he's my Lord over every area of life. He's the Lord, he's the Lord of my finances. And they're like, Susan, you're, you're broke. <laughs> And you're broke because you can't help but like spend all of your money and just buy stuff all the time. What is that? And we're supposed to like trust Jesus with my finances? You can't get it together. That's not emulating anything for me. I'm trying, you're a mess all the time. I'm just trying to help you out. Sometimes our witness, isn't it? It's like, listen, I trust Jesus. He is the Lord of my life. He's guiding me into every area. It's like, John, you hate your job. You just complain about it incessantly. It's like the topic of most things, most of the time, most of our gatherings. You're just talking about how much you want to leave, how much you want to get out, and how unsatisfied you are with life. I don't want that. I'm not going to trust, I'm not going to trust God with my career. John did that, and he's so incredibly unhappy. Like, just invite somebody next to you just to audit and say, I'm trying to live out my faith. How am I doing? What areas am I crushing it on? What areas maybe is God still yet to do that movement in my life, in my heart? So what a witness, remember, doesn't do anything. It doesn't necessarily do anything. The best witness, in fact, doesn't do anything, but testifies and just shares everything that what's already been done. So the Holy Spirit comes, witnesses, and now in, geographical statement here, in Judea, I'm sorry, Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends, to the ends of the earth. And this is actually the fun part about how the book of Acts is structured. We're not going to go through the whole thing today. But the book of Acts is structured that same exact way. That's the mission statement. It's also the outline of the book of Acts that probably Luke wrote. Acts 1 through 7 is in Jerusalem. They're like gathered up in that upstairs apartment and they go out to the streets and they broadly proclaim Jesus' death and resurrection for the first seven chapters. Some persecution breaks out. A bad thing happens, but God uses bad things to accomplish his good purpose. The church is scattered in chapter 7. So verse 8 
goes on, 8 through 11, is Judea and Samaria. Philip, one of those apostles, one of those sent people, one of the church leaders, crosses over from Judea to Samaria. That was a huge move. It's a huge move for Jesus just to acknowledge that the gospel, the good news, is also for the Samaritans. Because for those, these good Jewish kids, they're listening and they're going, no, no, no. The Samaritans are our religious and racial enemies. We've always been at odds with them. We've always treated each other poorly. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know, but the good news, the gospel, is for both of you. Like, you both need to hear that. Philip crosses over and shares the good news with the Samaritans. And something strange happens. Like, different groups of people start coming into the Jesus movement. It's strange, and it's beautiful. It's like, it's like bond and free, barbarian and Scythian, black and white, educated and less educated, Democrats and Republicans. I made that last one up. And they're all gathering around, and they're sharing meals together, and they're holding hands with one another, and they're praying together, and they're like worshiping the same God together, and they're both saying, they're all saying together that our identity, first and foremost, is not in our, or in our education. Our identity is not in where we went to school. Our identity is not in the color of my skin. My identity is not in the sports that I play or the social group that I hang in. My identity is not in a political party. My identity is first and foremost in Jesus Christ and in his death and resurrection. And church, people look on this movement and they're suspicious. The outside world looks on this movement and calls it sorcery and calls it conspiracies and says they've got, they're practicing all kinds of unnamed vices. Like, I don't know what they are yet, but they're up to something weird because that doesn't happen. It can't happen. It's never happened. Something's going on, and they're right. You're right. Something is going on. God is on the move. And they're taking this gospel message from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria. And chapters 12 through 20 in the book of Acts are through the, to the ends of the earth. Paul goes through and he's starting these, these churches and all these cities. And you can start to see it's breaking out. It's going global. It's such a cool picture. One of them is this church in Philippi, modern-day Greece. And Paul is now, he's writing from Rome in modern day Rome. Good, we're tracking. And he's in prison there. And it's 60, 61 AD, so it means Nero is on the throne. He's the emperor, he's the Caesar, he's in charge. And he cannot stand Christians because he just doesn't get it, he doesn't understand it. How could you? And that's why he's in prison. And, and I mentioned that in Philippians, he's writing this letter from Rome to the church in Philippi in Greece. And he's saying, I'm sharing the gospel with everybody. Listen, the Roman guard around me, they are aware of the gospel. And this is how he signs off. In, in Philippians chapter 4, it says, I love these little details of the Bible to like bring it to new life. In Philippians chapter 4, he signs off second to last verse in his letter. And he says, oh yeah, and by the way, uh, may God bless you from all of the believers here, including those believers in Caesar's own household. He's like, listen, you don't understand this, but like, we've got believers that are working in the kitchen staff, on the cleaning staff, in the Roman emperor's house. 
in Nero's house right under his nose. That's how far this thing is going. That's to the ends of the earth. We mean that. And if you're in here today or if you're watching this online, you are the ends of the earth. You are not just Acts 28 where the book ends. You're Acts 29 where it keeps on going because it doesn't stop with you or with me. It just keeps on moving. Church, we're keeping on moving. Powered by God and his Holy Spirit, this movement starts with God. It points to Jesus all the time, the work that he did as witnesses, and it moves forward now to the ends of the earth. It's such a cool picture. It's such a beautiful, unstoppable picture of God's force, the church, to not only bring heaven down to earth, but to bring people far from God to new life in his son, Jesus Christ. And that's, that's, what, that's what we're celebrating today. And that's why we did that, that further, faster vision campaign over the last several weeks. And the thing about that is that when we were a little church in a living room and then a rented cafeteria for four hours a week, it wasn't hard to risk everything because we didn't really have anything. <laughs> like, what are we going to lose? What kind of momentum or what kind of assets? I don't know. What are we going to lose? I mean, it was easy to just risk and to keep on risking. It's harder now. Now that, now that we're a little more grown up, now that it's been 10 years. You know, here's something for you. 10 years ago, I was a strong and vibrant 20-something. And in 10 years... Ten years later, I know, I walk into the office one time. This is a couple years ago. I walk into, walk into the office ten years later, and I'm stiff as a board. And somebody asked me a question. I'm like, oh, what'd you say? Oh, uh, yeah? Is that, is that now? Yeah? And I'm like, Derek, what'd you do? And so they kind of, like, give me a hard time, and they go, I do, huh? Put a little too much weight on the bench over there, Derek. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I'm 30-something now. I slept wrong. That's what happened. I couldn't move my neck because in 10 years, something happened. Like the body starts to break down. And there's a way for me to sleep wrong now. I can get injured while literally doing nothing. Like that's how bad. I'm looking forward to the next 10 years. This is physically, this is what bodies do. We kind of break down over time. And some of you are like, yeah, I know. I can already start to see that. I used to laugh at people who would stretch after they ran. So why would you? And I'm like, oh, no, I get it now. I got to stretch after I sleep, just to, just to head into the day. Bodies, this is what bodies do, they break down. And so we risk less. I risk less. I don't stand on chairs anymore, and that's a good thing. I don't go to the top rung on the ladder anymore. A good decision. Because bodies, over time, they just kind of break down. The church never should. And so as we get older, as people, we want to, like, take fewer and fewer risks. As we get older as a church, may we never lose sight of the fact that this entire ministry is a movement started by God and will continue by God's grace. That's what this whole thing is about. It's about him. First, middle, and last. It's such a cool picture. And that's why we wanted to step out and say, listen, we don't have to risk anymore. We can be comfortable. We can pull back and we can just kind of chill as a church. 
We could just take it easy. Nobody's going to blame a church for just like hanging out during a global pandemic and not pushing all the chips and going all in. But we said that's not the kind of church that we want to become. And so, you know, the last time I preached on this passage in Acts chapter 1 was the first time that I ended with a very bold, very spontaneous, spirit-led, hey, we are going to start a brand new church. That's the thing that God is going to call us to next. And today, coming back to this, I get to share an update. It's to say, listen, I put it before you all, and I asked a partner and say, like, listen, let's go. Let's go together. It's, it's so much better to be on the team and playing in the field than it is to watch from the stands. So let's get in the game. Let's join shoulder to shoulder. Let's serve. Let's give. Let's sacrifice to start a new church. And God showed up. He so showed up. We set a goal of raising a little over a half million dollars, and so I just want to give you a little update on that. Uh, some of you know, if you've been tracking with, that we received a gift of $250,000 from the closure of a church in the city of Grand Rapids in the Fulton Heights neighborhood where our new church is going to be. And then we set out at this vision campaign and, and, and saying, this is what God is up to. Do you want to join? Do you want to partner in? And it's not too late. It's not too late to jump in, to go to website slash further faster, but make a pledge. But we just asked last week, this is, this is commitment time. Just are you with us? And the results that we had is that 200 unique individuals and households joined this effort and said, yes, we're in. And that's awesome. The number behind that that I love even more is the fact that over 30 individuals and households, this is their first time partnering with a counter church financially ever. It's just so cool for people to see the movement of God and say, yes, I want it, I want to join that. And the other news is that we didn't, we didn't raise our side, our half of the $250,000. We raised $280,000 over that amount. It's happening. It's happening. Praise, praise God all the way. It's so cool. He breaks some of that down and people joined in from four different states, Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Iowa, I think. Uh, people joined in from over 30 different zip codes. I mean, it's just, it's just fun. And we got all that information coming out in that email format so you can get it like written out in front of you. Don't forget to subscribe. The God is so good. And there's just one more piece of um, exciting news. I said, don't forget Encounter Church tithes. And what that means is that Encounter Church shares 10 cents of every dollar, 10 cents of 10% of everything that we receive. It goes, it goes outside these windows into the world. It goes outside of our walls into the communities that we live. And so that means... That there's $28,000 and, and growing as more and more folks come and join the effort and, and make pledges. That means that there's a huge sum of money that we're going to use to bless the communities that we are a part of. And our leadership team is our governing board. And they got together and they said, we want to invite everybody that's been a part of this journey to join in and to bless the community. And so this is what we need from you. We set up a website. 
It's encounterchurch.org slash love where we live, one of our values around here. And what we're looking to do is knock the socks off from an organization or a ministry doing incredible work, especially in the Fulton Heights neighborhood community. Because we want to go in there with good news. And the good news, the gospel isn't good news if it's not good news for everybody. And so we want to find like a school or find a ministry or say, listen, whatever it is, you've got all kinds of lunch debt going on that's preventing kids from eating. We're going to clear that up for you. You've got medical debt that's keeping you from getting the help you need. The good news is good news for you. We're going to buy that and take care of it. We're going to forgive that. The good news is good news for everybody. And so we're going to go and you need a playground as a school. We're going to take care of that playground. We want you to join in. You can pull out your phones during this last song. You can just start typing it in, encounterchurch.org slash love where we live, because that's what we're about. We're coming into the Fulton Heights community with this bold declaration that Jesus died and came back to life, and we are ready to witness to that fact and to share that good news with everybody. The church is on the move. Would you stand with me? Let's keep on praying. Amen. Let's keep on worshiping here together. Dear Jesus, dear Jesus, you have done so incredibly much in our lives, in our ministries. You are on the move. You've never left. God, you've done so much in our lives. We can share stories and testimonies about, about when we were afraid and you took care of us. When we were sick and you brought healing and health and restoration. When we were lonely and you brought a community of people around us to pray for us. And God, we want others to hear that good news and to be changed by it from the inside out, Lord. God, may this blessing not just be for today in this generation. May this blessing go out and be for a hundred generations, a thousand generations, Jesus, until you come again. God, you are on the move. Let's keep on worshiping together. Amen.